Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. How are we doing today? We good? Everybody's good? My grandfather on my mom's side, his name was Paul Lanier, and uh, Paul was a pastor until uh, he passed away. I mean, honestly, he was a pastor up until about a month or two before he passed away. He retired uh, early because he had some health issues and uh, unfortunately passed away at a a younger age, and uh, I was about 13 years old when he passed away, but he was a pastor, faithful pastor, and uh, one of the things that he had at every church that he was pastoring is he would get a local radio program for their church. Church. And so he would, he would preach some messages, sometimes live, sometimes they would play some of the content from the services as technology allowed a little later in his ministry. But he started the radio program the same way every single time. I was fortunate enough when we would visit sometimes to go and be with him there in the studio. And uh, they, a lot of times, especially when I was much younger, I remember I was a really, really little guy and they were playing some of the music, some of the worship portion of that program on vinyls, on records. And one time I was running around the studio and accidentally bumped the record and it like scratched and did all kinds of crazy thing. And I thought I've broken the whole radio. Like I've broken everything. And so they just calmly put it all back. And my grandfather got on there and apologized and said, hey, my grandson's with me today. And you know, all that. But he started the radio program every, the same time, same way every single time he said this. He said, this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. And so today is the day that the Lord has made, and I'm glad that you're here, that you've chosen to spend part of your Sunday with us. We never take that for granted. And so I'm glad that you're here with me and that I'm here with you. Welcome to those of you that are watching online as well. We prayed for you as well just a few minutes ago, but we're thankful that you're here. You know, my wife and I, Corey, we have four kids. Cooper is 16. Branson is 14, Tucker is 12, and Kinley is 10. And here's, here's my hack, here's my life hack. Not everybody has this hack, but in our family, when all of their ages are even, all of their grades are odd. So right now we're 16, 14, 12, and 10, which means we are entering the 11th, 9th, 7th, and 5th grade. And so next year, they'll all be 17, 15, 13, and 11, and we'll be entering 12th, 10th, 8th, and 6th grade. So it's just an easy hack for me. I also have my anniversary engraved on the inside of my wedding ring, just so I don't forget that. So just life hacks in general, whatever you need to do there uh, to experience the fullness of life. But uh, I remember when, when Corey was giving birth to all four of our kids, I was there. I was no help at all, but I was there. I was present in the room with all four of them, and there were some moments uh, after the birth of of some of those kids where she would get up to go take a shower. She would get up to walk around the hall there. And in several of those instances, I would hop off the sorry excuse that they gave husbands for beds and I would jump into her bed and she would come back to find me falling asleep. Because I gotta be honest, like I was exhausted. I don't know what she had been doing, but I was exhausted. And so, you know, I was just trying to get a little sleep just to, you know, prepare for life with these kids once we got them home. But I remember during those days in the hospital each time that there would be a moment where maybe I would leave the room and I would go get us some food or I would go out to get, you know, something there to, you know, call for a nurse. And when I would come back into the room, Corey would be holding this newest addition to our family and she would be reading to them the words of the psalm that we're going to jump into Today, we're concluding our Summer in the Psalms series. And so all summer long, June and July, we have been looking at these Psalms. There are 150 of them collected in the Bible that you and I have available to us. 
About half of them were written by King David, whether it was before or after he became king. Uh, A few of them are from other authors. They're temple worship leaders. They're Moses and other Old Testament saints. And then there are about 50 or 60 that we don't know who wrote them. Some of them are still accredited to some of those other people, but we don't know who wrote them, so it's our best guess. But today, this is definitely a psalm or hymn of David. It's a pretty famous one. There's, there's several passages within this text that you're going to recognize, perhaps. But even if you don't recognize any of it, there's so much for us to dig into. So if you've got a Bible, you've got an app, I'd love for you to go with me today to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Uh, all of this will be up on the screen today, but I still encourage you to bring your own Bible or open an app. You can download the free Bible app so that you can take notes for yourself and be able to highlight things or kind of write in the margins of the, the text that you have there. We're going to begin reading in verse 1, and we are going to read all of Psalm 139. So everybody buckle up. Here we go. This is what it says. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say surely the darkness, uh, if I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Everybody take a deep breath. It's a lot of text. I recognize that. And as I was trying to figure out where we would go with our time, I was trying to, you know, kind of piece it out and really kind of cut it up so that we could really dive into it individually. And we're going to do some of that over the next few minutes. But what a powerful, powerful piece of text. What we've been saying all summer long is that the Psalms are, they they were the Hebrew hymn book. They were the the people of God at that time period as these were collected. They were the ways that they worshiped like we've been worshiping over the last few minutes. These were the songs. Some of them, as you can see in various places in the scriptures, some of them have a specific melody that they were to be sung to. So these are the, the poems. These are the lyrics. These are the beginning phrases that they would have used to worship together. And so when we think about what these are, these are phrases that that King David provided to the Hebrew people under the inspiration of God, out of his own personal relationship with God, that the Hebrew people would have used to declare the goodness of God, but also to really question God and to ask God the questions that were burning in their heart. And 
And I think what I've loved about this look at Psalms all summer long is it makes me feel normal. I've said that most of the weeks that I've been preaching and some of our other staff have have spoken. We had a guest speaker as a part of this series as well. But during this series, I have loved that when I see emotion within this text, it, it helps me to realize that when I feel emotion, it's okay. When I question God, it's okay. When I feel really good about life in general, it's okay. And when I feel like I'm not really sure what's happening in life in general, it's okay because I see those things contained within the text. And when I look at this passage of scripture specifically, I see, yes, it's a Psalm of David. Yes, it's a hymn of David. But I really see three distinct parts in the text. And of those three distinct parts, I really put them into two kind of themes There's two specific themes that I see within this text, even though it's broken up into some other components. And so we're going to break these down. We're going to look at them separately over the time that we have together today. The first of those that I see is this personal nature of God, this really personal nature of God. Look at the first few verses that we read. This is verse one through five. You have searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Now, I want you to notice something that was right there. I mean, it was there both times that we read it. I don't know if you noticed it or not. But in the five verses that we just read, I want you to notice the words that David used as he was giving to us these these lyrics. He was giving to us this poetry. He used the word you in reference to God 10 times in five verses. So I asked them to bold it and kind of show us here and underline it. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you. You're protecting me is what this hemming in is all about. You lay your hand upon I mean, 10 times in five verses, David is acknowledging the close nature of his relationship with God. God is not just some ambivalent figure out there in the cosmos somewhere. He's saying, God, I am talking to you, the God who knows me intimately. You have searched me. You have, you've gotten down deep on the inside of me. You, you protect me. You provide this hedge of protection right around me. Before I open my mouth to speak a word, you already know it because there's so much interaction taking place between you and I in prayer and in devotion and in personal worship time. Before I say anything to a friend, to a spouse, to a, to a relative, before it even comes out of my mouth, you already know it because of the relationship that we have, David is talking about this close, personal relationship that he, he says this, he says, you searched me, you know me, you know when I sit down, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts, you discern my going out and my lying down, you're familiar with all of my ways, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. There is a personal relationship here between David and God. I don't think it's an accident that as we, as we read the story of David throughout the Old Testament, both in First and Second Samuel and in First and Second Chronicles, when we see his story play out specifically in those places, we are drawn to the fact that David is called a man after God's own heart. And we see David's imperfections. We see the the fallenness of his life and the things that he does and the temptations he falls to. And we see when he gets emotional and upset at Ziklag when the men are gonna stone him. And so we recognize that like he's a human being. He experiences the highs and the lows. 
But what I love about this text specifically and the other places in the Psalms that are credited to David is there is personal interaction between him and God. He's referencing God himself. He's acknowledging God's power, his closeness, his protection. There's relationship here. How many of our prayers, how many of the prayers that you pray are only about you? How many of my prayers are only about me? There there is no you, God. It's just me, 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 my, 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 my things, my test, my job, my family, my kids, my finances. Or perhaps how many of our prayers are more lofty than that and they are all about God. Maybe they are you, 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 thee, thou, Right? And we're talking to a God that seems so far out there that there's not that personal give and take relationship to prayer. That's what prayer is. And I remember hearing that as a child. Prayer is just talking to God. But how do you talk to a God you can't see? So the question comes for all of us, is there confidence in my relationship with God? I, I would even ask it this way. On a scale of one to 10, One being kind of the lowest, obviously, 10 being the highest, the the closest, the most confident. How personal is your relationship with God right now? Not are you saved, not has he forgiven your sins. One to 10, 10 being the most personal, as close as you are to your best friend and maybe your spouse. A one being he's some distant figure, thought out there in the cosmos. Like how personal is your current relationship with God? When I read these first five verses, I see that there is a personal aspect to this psalm. And I think it calls all of us to be in personal relationship. God, look at this other portion of the text beginning in verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. David was acknowledging that there was a relationship here. And it's not just David to God, it's God to David. David is acknowledging that before he himself was even born, before he was formed in his mother's womb, God already had thoughts about him. God already had a design in mind. God already had something that he was trying to do, that God knit him together. I love that phrase. Now, I've never knit anything. Maybe in an art class in elementary school, we had to make like, I don't know, like a, a, a pot holder. So I'm not really sure, but I don't remember ever knitting anything. Anybody, anybody a knitter in the room, right? Anybody? Okay, no, you don't want to raise your hand. That's fine. Maybe that's how it's old fashioned. I'm not really sure. I'm assuming that there are because Michael's still sells a lot of stuff is really what I'm getting at. But here's what I know as I've seen it. When my grandmother, uh, I've talked about my grandparents now on both sides, my grandmother on my dad's side. When she was getting uh, sick later in her life, she gathered all of the grandchildren and great-grandchildren together, and she gave them the blankets that she had made or had made by the women in her church. There was a small group of women in her church. They didn't call it small groups back then. They had a Sunday school class, and then they had some fellowship time, and there was a fellowship group in her church of some retired ladies, and they would get together to sew things and knit things, and they would make blankets and bonnets and babies' hats and socks and scarves and all kinds of things, and, and here's what I know about people like that, because I know my grandmother, and I, I, I see how it works. They take their time. 
They're not in a hurry. Now, I was a part of one or two of those sessions when, when Meemaw, that's what we called her, when Meemaw and her friends were together, I don't know if there was as much knitting as there was talking, right? I mean, it was just conversation around that and every now and then, but they took their time. They were intentional. There was conversation about which color they should use and, and the things that they should do. And when they were making quilts and, and it was patchwork and they were determining like which ones to pull in and which one, like they were very intentional with the efforts that they were making, the colors they were choosing, the patterns that were going to be a part of this. They would sit for hours into days, into weeks, creating whatever it was that they were creating. And I don't know if David had a small group of knitters in his camp, in his church. But this is the image that he gives to us as he talks about the process that God used to create me and you. That I don't know what you've been told in your life, but you are not an accident. You are not a mistake. You are not a happenstance. You are intentionally formed and created by a creative God who took six days to create all that there is. And every time he completed a project, he said, it's good. It's good. It's good. And then he formed humanity and he said, It's very good. It's very good. God took his time choosing all of the components that would be utilized to create you. In fact, in the New Testament, we are called God's handiwork. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Of course God took his time. Of course he took his time. Because he had a job in mind for you. He had a purpose in mind for you. And maybe you're like, I I hate the job I have. It's not about vocation, perhaps. You're like, I I don't have any any friends right now. I'm not sure what the relationships and the relational health in my... It's not necessarily about relationship. There is a kingdom purpose that is destined for you. God had to take his time because he had something intentionally and strategic in mind when he was thinking about you before you were formed. You are vital. You are purposeful. You are treasured. And I think so many of us struggle to really wrap our minds around this idea that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. This idea of being fearfully made is to respect the process. That we are fearfully made to respect and understand what that looks like. And wonderfully made is to be set apart, to be unique. So there's a respect to the process that God undertook to uniquely make you in a way that you are set apart. You are different. You're not just a copy of someone else. And some of us struggle to wrap our minds around that personal aspect of God, the uniqueness that God has designed for each of us to believe that we're fearfully and wonderfully made because we don't fully wrap our minds around the wonder of God. I think that's the second theme that I see in this text in Psalm 139 is not just that he's personal, but that he's providential. He's not just small. He's also very, very big. When I look at the text here, beginning back in verse seven of Psalm 139, I see this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. David is acknowledging that there's nowhere he could go to escape the presence of God. David is acknowledging that God is bigger 
than he can fully even comprehend. He says, like, even the night is day to you. Like, if we go out in the middle of the night and the darkness is there, you see it as light. If I go to the highest highs of heaven, if I go to the lowest depths of hell, still there your presence guides me on the far side of the sea or the closest place that I have to where I'm at right now. You are there. The psalm, Psalm 139, is used in Catholic and Lutheran and Jewish and Anglican churches in the liturgical aspect of their faith to really affirm the omnipresence of God. Now, omnipresence may not be a word that you use on a regular basis. If you do, I'd love to know who you're talking to, right? But this is to affirm the omnipresence of God. There's really three primary omnis when you talk about God. You have the omnipresence of God, you have the omnipotence of God, and you have the omniscience of God, all right? So the omnipresence is the idea that God is everywhere at the same time. God is everywhere, all at the same time. So that means that God is in this room right now. It doesn't necessarily mean God's in this podium, but God is in this room. If you're watching online today, God is in your room. He's in your car I mean, I would judge you, but he's also right there on the beach where you're sitting in your chair right now on vacation for one last hurrah before school starts, right? God is everywhere all at the same time. So we're talking about the omnipresence of God. That's what David was referencing. He said, where can I go? Everywhere I go, you're already there, right? The second omni that we see is the omnipotence of God. This is that God is all powerful. There is no power on heaven or in the earth that is more powerful than God. Even the death that seemed to take Jesus's life was overcome by the power of God that raised him to life from the tomb on the third day. God is more powerful than any power, any being that we see, that we know, that we understand. Everything that we know falls under the power of God. He is omnipotent. And then the third omni is omniscience. The idea of being omniscient is all-knowing. God already knows. I believe if you dive deep down into all of this theologically, you really start to wrestle with this idea, but God has created you and I with free will. It's not that God is up here as the puppet master. He's not Zeus sitting in a chair somewhere just throwing lightning bolts at you, waiting on you to mess up. But in his sovereignty and in his grace and his mercy towards us, God is able to balance in his all-encompassing nature the ability for him to be present, to be inside and outside of time, all at the same time, to be all-powerful and all-knowing all at once. And you're like, whoa, I did not stretch my brain enough for this this morning. I haven't had enough coffee, and that's okay. You'll never have enough coffee to fully grasp all that we're talking about. And David recognized this. He says, I can't get away from you. There's nowhere that I can go, nothing that I can possibly do. When I think I'm actually running away from you, God, I get to where I'm going and I find you there as well. This all-encompassing nature of God, it boggles the mind. The prophet Isaiah spoke about this in Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 when he said this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You and I have to wrap our minds around the idea that God is not confined to what our minds can comprehend. We have to wrap our minds around the idea that it requires faith from us to believe all that is necessary to believe about God, to actually pray to a God who is outside of our problems, that he can intervene in our problems because he's actually in our problems with us. 
It boggles the mind. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So the question is not just on a scale of one to 10, how personal is your relationship with God? On a scale of one to 10, how big is your God? How big is your perception of a God that is everywhere all at the same time, all powerful and all knowing, all at the same time? How big is your God? He's not just big enough to create the heavens and the earth. Because when I heard that, the very first time and probably every time since, you know what I thought? I thought, when I look to the heavens and everything that I can see on the earth, and I've traveled to most places or many places in the earth, not most places, I haven't been to every country, but I've traveled to kind of many of the places in the earth, several different continents, and so I've got a pretty good idea of how big the earth is. And when I hear that God created the heavens and the earth, that is my perception, that is my context, that is what I'm thinking. But God is not just big enough to create the heavens and the earth, he's big enough to create all of the heavens and all of the earths and all of the moons and all of the suns that exist. I was listening to a podcast this week that said that scientists are guessing now, and it is an educated guess, that there are perhaps now one billion or more planets within our solar system. Not just all the solar, God created all the heavens and all the earths and all the moons and all the stars and all the planets. And scripture tells me that he holds all of that in the palm of his hand. He's not just small, he's also really, 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 really big. Now, why is this important? Why does this matter to any of us today? Because you won't believe that you're wonderfully made until you believe it was a wonderful God who took his time doing it. You won't believe that you're wonderfully made until you believe it's a wonderful God who took his time knitting you together. That before you were formed in your mother's womb, he knew you. He had marked out all the days of your life before you even lived the very first one of them. He made you with strategic purpose in mind. He's in control of it all. And yet he's very, very close. He had a choice, according to Genesis, in all of his creative design. Like like he was an artist with a blank canvas. And he could have done anything that he wanted to do. And he could have chosen any inspiration as he created the heavens and the earth. And as he created me and you. And according to the, the words of Genesis, you know what he chose as his inspiration when he made you? Himself said that you and I are made in his likeness. Why is that important to us? Because God has chosen the wonder that he put inside of you to declare the wonder of who he is to the earth. He said, I'm going to tell this incredible story, the story of who I am to a world that needs to hear it. And the way that I'm going to express that wonder to the earth is through the wonderful creation of who you are. He took his time because he had a job in mind. He had something that he wanted to do. And here's the trap. Here's what we all do. We're all guilty of this. When we hear that we were created in the image of God, in the likeness of God, we immediately start thinking external, right? It's like, how are we all made in the likeness of God, in the image of God, and we all look so different? 
There's so many different shapes and sizes and all of the various gifts. And we think, oh, you know, that person has really pretty eyes and that person has a really nice smile. And man, I wish I was that tall. And I wish God would made me in the likeness of a six foot two guy. When I'm watching the Olympics, I'm like, why couldn't I have been made in that likeness, right? I, I would really like, we start thinking external. But I believe that God thinks about the internal. David, who wrote this psalm, was standing before the prophet. And before he had even gotten there, the prophet had already decided that his better looking, more handsome, handsome, taller, more skilled brother was going to be the next king of Israel. And God prompted the prophet's heart. And he said, no, 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 man looks on the outside. but God looks at the heart. No, it's true. Man looks on the outside. We're all guilty of it. We definitely judge a book by its cover. But aren't we thankful that God looks at the heart? That when God made you in his image, when he made you in his likeness, he placed wonder inside of you. That you have a soul imprint that matches the soul of God, that matches the the aura that the world needs as it thinks about who God might be. And here's what we all need to be reminded of today. The story's not about you. The story's not about me. Every last part of this story from beginning to end is the story of God. Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22 is all the story of God and God's interaction with humanity. And you know what falls right in the middle of that story? The Psalms. The middle chapter of the entire Bible is Psalm 103. The first two verses of Psalm 103 are the middle verses. There are about 15,550 verses before them and 15,550 verses after them. And right in the middle, you know what it talks about? It talks about recognizing the sovereignty of God his goodness towards us, how we praise and worship and declare who God is in our lives. The story is about God. And yet every time we try to remind ourselves that the story is about God, God constantly reminds us that he's constantly making the story about us too. He's involving us in the story to declare the goodness of God, the wonder of God to a world that needs to see it, to a world that needs to know it. And so I recognize today that some of us We don't feel like we're wonderful. We came into this place and we felt less than wonderful. We felt like we don't have a lot to contribute. We're not as amazing as some of the other people in our lives. We're not as talented. We're not as good looking. We don't have the charisma that some of the people around us have. We don't have the giftedness, perhaps. What I would say to you is just to remind yourself today that according to Psalm 139, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And if you have trouble believing that, I would encourage you to focus on the wonder of the God who took his time making you. He's big and he's small. He's providential and he's personal. He's in control of everything, but he's also very, very close. And he loves you and he believes in you and he trusts you And he's chasing you and he's close and he's wonderful. And here's what I would say to you. We're gonna pray in just a moment for those of us that just, we don't feel wonderful today for a lot of different reasons that we would recognize that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're gonna pray that all of us would see the wonder of God in a new way this week. But here's here's the challenge that I would make to all of us today. What if we left this place and we walked into some restaurants 
I'm planning to walk into a Mexican restaurant just right down the road and to the left. We, we went into some of those restaurants. We, we, we went to our job tomorrow. We showed up for the first day back for teacher training, getting the classroom ready. We spent the last week before school with our kids or as grandparents watching the grandkids so mom and dad could kind of go back to work for one more. What if we just decided that we were going to be a people that spoke about the wonder of everybody we came in contact with? What if we just spoke life into them? What if we just made sure that we called out the greatness that exists in every single person that God has fearfully and wonderfully made? What if we just left that mark on the waiter or the waitress that serves us today at lunch or tonight at dinner? What if we just made that mark on the people that we interacted with tomorrow on our job? What if every single sales call we had tomorrow had one moment, three seconds, 10 seconds, 30 seconds, where we just spoke life into someone that God knit together, but they don't feel that intentionally created, strategically, purposefully designed? What if we just decided to speak about the wonder of God that exists in the wonderful people that we come in contact with? It would change their day. It would change their week. For some of them, it would change their life. Let's take it upon ourselves to be those kind of people. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.